You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to the first uh, the first Tomahawk Nation Hoops podcast edition of the new year, new decade. Uh, it is January 7th, 2020. I'm Matt Minnick, joined by Michael Rogner. Uh, happy New Year to all of you out there. And, and apologies for our, our bit of sort of a, a lapse there between, between episodes. Uh, Michael Rogner had, had a little bit of a, a chest cold, caught, caught whatever the flu thing going around out in California was. Um, so he was not really able to, not at his best performance. And then between that and the family time, we just uh, decided to take a little time off. So, but glad to be back. And we've got, uh, we've got an exciting, I think, podcast lined up. Of course, everyone wants to talk about the huge Louisville win. And we will absolutely talk about that, uh, including getting to the question of does, does Leonard Hamilton own Chris Mack? Uh, but we also want to uh, – we were going to talk a little bit about just look, look back at the decade that was um, and, and really what, what maybe is the best, uh, the best decade in FSU basketball history. And then, of course, we'll preview the Wake Forest game that comes up uh, tomorrow on Wednesday night. Um, Michael, how, do you have a good New Year? Well, it was, it was, it was a quiet New Year because I couldn't talk. But sure, your it's, wife loved that. It, yeah, it was, it was great for her. Yeah, you know, so it's it, it's good to be back. You know, I I, I uh, got sick and but I battled. You know, took it one possession at a time, and 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 here we are, ready to talk some hoops. Yeah, the yeah the heart of a champion, the true the true uh, junkyard dog. Uh, hopefully, immune system now in you for the rest of the year. Uh, we we went down to 
we went stayed with some family down outside the uh, Ocala National Forest, which was great. Got to get away, no service, no no nothing. Uh, rode some four wheelers and did some bonfires, so it was a good time too. But I am excited. Conference season is underway in full swing, and and it's exciting about that. Uh, exciting to to dive into that. But first, let's look back at you know at what was we like we said new new decade here. So um, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to ask you straight up, was the, was the 2010 to 2019, right? The 20 teens there decade. Uh, so that would not include any result from this year. Uh, was that decade the best decade in the history of FSU basketball? Oh, I like that question. So let's, so we were, we were good this decade. We were good in the 90s, I guess, good and seven. So every other decade, we're good. Yeah, I feel like late 80s had a couple of good teams there with Mitchell Wiggins. Yeah. Yeah, there might be an argument like the best 10 year period could have been like late 80s, early 90s, you know, right at the beginning of us joining the ACC. And, but anyway, uh, I would say that for sure this is the best decade for FSU basketball. And I think the reason, so the 70s, you've, you've got obviously the, the final four. But you also had some bad teams in there. And same thing with the 90s. Like, we, we kind of we got off to a really good start in the ACC, and then reality hit, and we kind of stunk there at, at, at the end. And in this, you know, past decade, that I, for the most part, FSU has been, has been really good, and the, the, the program is at a completely different level than it was, you know, kind of entering that decade. Yeah, I'll, I – I'll hit you with some stats here first and then maybe, maybe throw out an opinion, but so just in the last 10 years, um, six NCAA tournament appearances, uh, that, that easily beats any of the uh, previous, I I think the nineties had four. Um, And so that, that, that no losing seasons is a big one. And you kind of hit that too. Uh, I think this is the first decade since maybe this, I'd have to go back and look the nineties definitely had a losing season. Uh, and the 2000s certainly had some losing seasons. Uh, so that's big. Three Sweet 16s, an Elite Eight, uh, the first ever ACC championship, also played for another one, and set the school record for wins last year with 29. Uh, so I, I think I would agree with you. Uh, I'll throw a curveball at you that wasn't in the, in the pre-write here. Uh, which of the if, – if the last decade was the best – if we agree that the last decade was the best overall – single decade for FSU basketball, which team do you think you'd take on a neutral court against the others? Which FSU team? Well, last year's team didn't make it as far as the previous years, but it would be last year's team, you know, especially if you could give me a healthy team. Sure, I mean, with, sure. All, all players healthy. You know, Kofer, Fiondo, Trent, MJ, Terrence Mann. I mean, that was, that was a really good team. And I th- I think that if you talk to the coaches, they would also agree that that was the best team and it just got completely derailed by Kofer's injuries and then, you know, personal problems with, you know, with losing, losing a parent at the, at a terrible time, you know, it was, it was, it was a really good team and it's a shame that it kind of ended the way it did. Yeah. No, I, I think, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'd love to hear maybe uh, in the comment section, we could get some thoughts from, from other folks. I, I wonder, you know, the 2011 team also had, that was a sweet 16 team that had uh, Chris Singleton out for a long stretch of time. And he came back right for the NCAA tournament, but he was not himself. I mean, 
he was just not in the kind of shape that he was previously. I'm wondering if that 2011 team with that length and defense would have given last year's team fits. Yeah, that was that year that we Chris Singleton turned his head on the inbounds pass and in VCU. Yeah, that was brutal. Yeah. Uh, I think that team just couldn't score. It had a defense which is, you know, one of the best defenses that has ever existed in college basketball so that gives them a, a you know one thing to hang their hat on but so they, ironic that they got beat on a layup <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and they, they just they just couldn't score yeah no that's probably fair well let me so let's turn this into uh and we could probably do this for the next few podcasts and tackle different subjects but what thinking about all of the great games and and for those of you out there i actually wrote down a list of probably 15 games that happened between 2010 and and 2019 um that you know that folks might remember for one reason or another um let's let's do a top three favorite of your top three and my top three favorite games that occurred last decade uh the key word there is favorite i i I don't you know it's pretty subjective so it, it you could have that for any number of reasons um doesn't necessarily have to be like the biggest upset or anything but uh, why don't you? What's your what's your third ranked uh, favorite win over the last decade? Okay, so we're we're going backwards here. Backwards, yeah, work our okay. way up. All right, so <laughs> I'll take uh, the win over Gonzaga to make the Elite Eight, and it was you know it wasn't even that good of a game. It was just we knew that we were going to win basically with twenty minutes to go, and you could just sit and enjoy it and realize that Florida state was going to the elite eight for the first time in a long time. And, uh, it was, yeah. So I'll take that one to start. Yeah. No, I, I watched that one with, uh, some of y'all out there might know, uh, or have seen the work of Arya Masudi. Um, you know, he used to work at Tomahawk nation. He's now over at the Osceola and also with FSU women's hoops. He was actually at my house for that game. And I think the whole second, you're right. I think we just basically were high-fiving the whole second half. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> him, my wife, dog, everyone's just like up cheering. Um, so that's certainly a good one. I, I considered that as well. I'm going to take number three. If you remember this one, it was um, Notre Dame, a really good Notre Dame team came to Tallahassee in 2017. And, and so this was the John Isaac uh, team. And the the game was just a barn burner. Florida State won, I think, eighty three to eighty. Uh, despite and so Florida State won despite Notre Dame going fifteen of twenty one from three. Uh, and and they it, to me it really, I, I felt like that was the maybe the we saw what the ceiling of that team could look like. We like Isaac was making plays, Bacon was making plays, uh, a young Terrence Mann and Trent Forrest were on that team and and I think there was a late block by Isaac that really sealed the game out on the perimeter and that is just an exciting atmosphere and we really saw like what what that peak of Leonard, Leonard Hamilton's kind of positionless style could be in that game yeah I, did, I didn't see that I didn't see that answer coming from you but I, I remember that it was also like one of the kind of earlier games that John Isaac became John Isaac you know it was like we we knew how good he was and then in mm-hmm. that game if I'm re- if I'm remembering right him and Bonzi Colson battled all day yeah he had like a he almost had a triple double like when you when you when you mix in blocks like right. it was just it was just a crazy good game by that guy yeah all right number two number two is uh let's see here what was what was what was my number two the um, uh I think you mentioned something about the ACC 
Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's it's hard. It's hard not to think of that as number one. And I'm also thinking of it as kind of three games in one. But the, you know, we had three games in Atlanta in 2012 to win the ACC. Went through Miami, Duke, and and UNC, and they were all really good games. Yeah. Especially that second game against Duke. I mean, that was just a total instant classic. And then North Carolina, we were able to just kind of hold them cool. off the, the the whole game. And you know that that statement of going out and winning that tournament was just a, a program changer and then also having it in Atlanta I thought was great because it's like okay here's what here's what can happen if you get away from you know having all of the the tournaments in North Carolina and and it and it kind of started a streak where other teams you know began to to that's right uh, that's exert right. themselves in it was the like ACC. six in a row or something yeah exactly that's a great, that's a great, uh, great pick for sure. And could you really, I mean, is there a better path to win an ACC championship than beat Miami and then Duke and then UNC? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's great. Uh, I'm going to go. So the game before your, your last choice there, the Gonzaga game, I'm going to say the Xavier comeback. And, and I, I, I loved your points about how just fun the, the Gonzaga game was, you know, the Xavier game was that roller coaster of emotions where, you, you know, you come in, they, they had beaten us the year before they had, you know, killed us the year before. Um, now we were the prohibitive underdog. Uh, and, and for a while it looked like they were killing us again. And then we sort of, you know, we, we made those, you know, second half adjustments and just crawled back into the game. And when PJ hit that three, uh, you know, just, I felt like that was the, we needed to get over the hump to make that, you know, what was the sweet 16. And then of course make the elite eight after that. And, and I, I feel like we would look back at this last period of time, the last few years differently had we had back to back second round losses to Xavier. So for me at number two, I've got the the comeback and late victory over Xavier in the second round. Of the yeah. That, that, that was probably one of the, you know, if, if we were to make a list of like the five best basketball games like if you just wanted them on on right you know a dvd so you could you could watch them right um or whatever people put those things on these days um you you would have uh that game on there because it was just a brilliant yeah fantastic game. basketball game fantastic uh so let, we're up to number one here and i'm i'm i got a hunch we might have the same one but go ahead yeah it's it's snare you know that that game so snare hits the hits the buzzer beater to beat duke and and uh, yeah you know the announcer goes bananas and and not only was it so i had a bunch of people over at my house um, for that game for whatever reason and everybody was just going bananas and it's probably like the single moment in my fandom like i've been more excited while watching a sport event you know that's that's the moment and uh you know then it obviously all of the sort of ramifications it had for florida state in terms of like okay, this 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 it really legitimized like, our presence. Yeah, totally, yeah. and and it's and it has totally worked out. You know, looking back on it, it's easy to say that, but at the time, it was like okay, this is like we're going somewhere. I, it's also my number one. I one hundred percent agree. I can tell you exactly where I was <laughs> when he hit the shot. Um, and the it, to your point. I think we were still that team that like, oh, sure, they can, you know, upset folks at home, right? Like, yeah, if, if North Carolina or at the time Wake or Duke travels down to Tallahassee, you better have your guard up because they can pull the upset. But that 
that was just a, a knockout heavyweight battle. I mean, if you recall, Austin Rivers hit what appeared to be a game-tying shot, the possession right before it. So this was not a game in which Duke played poorly. Um, it was just a whale of a game with a with an even better finish. And, and I think it, is, it deserves number one. I actually – I had gotten to know uh, Mike Snare at that time period. He, fantastic uh, human being, which no surprise for who Leonard Hamilton recruits. And um, so I texted him a couple minutes, hours, whatever, after the game, I probably just a one word ah, or something, you know, just like congrats. And I think he got back to me maybe three or four days later that said, you know, sorry, bro. I had about 300 text messages <laughs> from different people uh, after that game. And I was just trying to get through all of them. Um, and so uh, you can imagine that it probably changed his life forever. So if you're listening uh, Mike Snare, tip of the cap uh, for you. All right. Um, so that that was a fun, fun segment. Maybe we'll do it again with different players or something coming up. Let's move into instead of looking back at the last decade, let's look at the back, look back at the last week. Uh, let's talk about the Louisville game. Uh, let me, let me just, we'll start off with this. Uh, well, what went well? <laughs> and because I don't think either of us or many people saw that outcome uh, happening. What went well? And is it repeatable? Yeah, I'm kind of glad we didn't record a pod before that game because I would not have predicted Florida State to to, to win. I was um, hoping I, we could keep it within ten and stay healthy. I think I typed that on on Tomahawk Nation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but to get to your point, you know what went well? Obviously, we we shot the lights out, and that is is not. It's, I mean, it's going to be repeated a few games, and uh, you know throughout sure. the year. But we obviously can't expect to shoot forty eight percent. But if you look at at who was taking the shots. I think Forrest Vassell and MJ Walker took like almost two thirds of the shots. They had 11 of 15 assists, you know, so they had the ball in their hands the whole game. And that's what this team needs. If if we can kind of win on having a a defense that is sort of, you know, not quite elite, but pretty close. um, And then an offense that you know, obviously 10 or 11 guys are going to get involved. They're going to come in and wave. But when we get into half-court sets, we need the ball in Trent's hand and Vassell and MJ Walker. We need those guys really being aggressive and ball dominant. And in this game, you know, we, we obviously knocked down the shots, but it was also the ball was in the hands of the right guys at the right time. And I think that is repeatable. Yeah, I, I feel like we either – it could have been both. I was going to say we talked about it on the very first podcast, ep, ep one or maybe it was in an article or some comment sections. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk about just the the rotations. And, and this, this went back to me – this drove it home again that it, we've got to have MJ Walker, one of MJ Walker, Trent Forrest, or Devin Vassell on the court the entire time. Like – you don't necessarily need all three, but you, you cannot throw out a roster in ACC play without one of them. And so that, you know, you look back at the pit loss, MJ and Devin didn't even play the first half because of foul. They both picked up two fouls in the first two minutes. Uh, and then of course the Georgia tech game that was maybe closer th- than it should have been throughout. Although um, I don't know, perhaps Georgia tech's getting better. Or we'll talk about them in a bit, but uh, you know, when MJ missed and you could just see what MJ missed the game. And you could see how that impacted who else had to be on the court and who had to, you know, basically Trent Forrest didn't get a breather in the Georgia Tech game. Is 
what did you think of him coming off the bench? What did you think of MJ Walker coming off the bench? I know that was probably for injury purposes, but is that a look that you liked so that he comes out there with the second group like Ian Miller did, he used to do? Well, it's, I mean, it's one game, and he, he played great coming off the bench, and so a lot of people are going to say, oh, he should come off the bench. But I, I was super thrilled to see him come off the bench, especially he comes in, and I think of that first shot was kind of like left mm-hmm. left corner, you know, like a 17-footer or something, and he drills it, and, and he just went bananas from there. So it was, it was a hell of a game for Trent, but I'm not sold on him coming off the bench. I I, I like to sort of maximize the 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 – uh, ex- experience level at the beginning of games and at the end of games. You know, I right. think that's that's when that pays off the most. And MJ is one of our most experienced guys, and so I, I think I think I'd rather see him out there. You know, kind of at the at the beginning of a game, and then you know have the have the you know the the switch hitter be you know polite or you know somebody who comes in and you know does something a little different. Yeah, L- one more question on MJ, and then maybe we'll pivot here, but. A couple of weeks ago, or the last time we talked, we talked about potential NBA prospects. Uh, I think both of us did not list MJ Walker in that surefire. I, I think I might have said that he, the way he looked against maybe it was North Florida or someone like, oh, that was the first time walking out of Tuck. I thought to myself, wow, he could put himself on maybe a free agent map. Okay, so uh, if MJ Walker played at anywhere close, like obviously he's not going to go five for seven from three, but let's say he went three for seven from three the rest of the season and played like he did. It, does that change your opinion on whether he'd get a look from the NBA? Yeah. Well, I think the difference between MJ, the guy who's playing in China and MJ, the guy who's playing in the NBA is, is what we said. And that he needs to shoot like Malik Beasley. Right. And he's that, 42, that, 43%. Yeah, that's the one skill that's going to keep him out of the NBA. And so if he shoots anything like he did the other day, which was just full of confidence and they were going down, then, then yeah, I, you know, I, I, I would go back and change my answer because that what, you know, for, for 40 minutes against Louisville, he was an NBA player for sure. I think that's a great way to put, I mean, that reverse layup he made was, was in control you know, he, he, there was no chance of a charge. He, he made the right move. I mean, going reverse was the right move in that situation with where the defender was. And then he made the shot. Um, like you said, for 40 minutes, he was an NBA player against Louisville. Um, is this the best, like, if we think about what Florida State, I mentioned the Notre Dame game, how in that John Isaac year, maybe that was like the peak of what that team was. Do you think that Florida State as a team could play better than what they just did against against uh, Louisville? Um, Offensively, I think that's about as good as it's going to look. They, you know, Louisville uh, entered the game with the fifth-ranked defense in the nation, I think, and and we just totally torched them. Um, Defensively, there were some issues for sure, um, especially in in the first half. We changed the – yeah, we kind of changed it up a little bit there in the second half. But but defensively, I was was actually a little disappointed – um, and, and how we handled Louisville. And so we can definitely get better on that side of the ball. But, you know, if, if, if we're shooting, you know, what we proved is if we're, if we're shooting the ball like that, then, you know, I don't, I don't see anybody, you know, yeah. beating us. Of course, there's a lot of teams probably, there's probably 20 teams that could say, well, if we, if we shoot, you know, 11 to 23 or whatever from three, we're going to be pretty well. I, I will say that doesn't mean everything, uh, you know, some, you, Notre Dame shot 15 to 21 from us in 2017. It's a loss. So you do have to have the other side of the ball. Um, did you, 
what was your thoughts on the adjustments that Leonard Hamilton made at halftime? The defensive well, adjustments. I think, yeah, I think in the in our Slack chat there during the game, I, I when we so Florida State comes out in the second half and is face guarding Nora, which is a it's a much bigger uh, uh, adjustment than I think most people understand. I mean, it's just, it's a total change in the way that, that Florida state is defending things. And I wrote in the Slack chat that I just didn't know how I felt about that. And I, and I meant it that way. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't like, Oh, that's a brilliant move or, Oh, that's a terrible move. I just, I just didn't really know what to think when we go into halftime up seven and come out of halftime doing things just completely different. It was a really big, um, risk, I think. For was it Bissell that but, was face guarding him for much of the early for, part of the first half or second yeah, half? Zach, yeah, Yeah, for, for for the most part, it was Bissell and and Chris Mack. Just he didn't really have any answers to it. It was weird. It was it was, and you know, if you if you take not to get too down into the weeds here on on X's and O's, but but if you if you take uh, Nuora and you put him on the wing and he's being face guarded, then then Louisville knows that there's no help defense coming from that position so there's so there's a ton of things that they can do um in order to utilize all that newfound space that's being created on the court and aside from a few post moves or post entries to enoch they just they just, he didn't really have anything he didn't have he didn't have any answers for it and you know luckily for for louisville noir is still good enough that he was able to score 11 um in the in the half but all of that was on you know offensive rebounds and broken plays and, and whatnot so i uh, if if I'm a Louisville fan, I'm a little concerned that that Chris Mack was sort of handed a you know a set of relatively easy adjustments and just didn't make any. Does does Hamilton and maybe Hamilton and Stan? I mean, this is three games in a row. Uh, so he was he was the coach of the Xavier game where we made a, a big second half comeback, um, and then last year in what was essentially a coin flip uh, coming into the game in terms of the odds. Um, Florida State gets down double digits and <laughs> makes a big comeback um, and and wins I think in overtime uh, and then and then this year uh, really FSU controlled I'd say the last 25 minutes of the game it was 27 22 and from there Florida State um, I guess outscored Louisville by 18 over the last 25 minutes does <laughs> Is it one of those situations where, where Leonard Hamilton and Stan Jones have figured out how to attack Chris Mack's kind of modified pack line defense? Yeah, and I, th- I think if you go back to last year, you know, we, we were the last team to beat Virginia. You know, we've, we've generally played okay against Virginia and, and now doing the same thing against Louisville. And they, they, they do a lot of the same things defensively. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely showing that the coaching staff can, can handle that, that sort of like – you know, gap defense and the, the, you know, the shots that pack lines leave open are generally a lot of threes and you have to make them. You have to make them. Exactly. We made 11, and, but Louisville, you know, they, they made like 42% of their threes mm-hmm. against us and they got beat by double digits and, and, and so. took more free throws, made more free throws. Yep. Um, and 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 turn the ball. Florida State is turning over their AC. We played four ACC games. Florida State's turning over their ACC opponents higher than twenty five percent of possessions. That yeah, that seems incredible. I that's mean, crazy. And and there was a question in in one of the the game or, or one of the threads on Tomahawk Nation the other day about you know why is Florida State so good this year? 
Um, and part of it is just expectations. People's expectations were, were for Florida State to fall probably a lot farther than they than they really would. But the other thing is that Florida State has turned into just an absolute, totally elite team at turning the ball the ball it's over on It's crazy. Deep. I mean, we're talking like peak press Virginia turning turnover rates for the defense. Yeah, and it's and it's unprecedented for a Leonard Hamilton defense to do that. So for for a team that's not really even full court press, I mean, I know we'll throw a token one out there, but that's not how we're doing it. Um, right. It, it's it's just being long and being in the right place. Yeah, and the non-steal percentage turnover rate is is also – I know we'd rather have the, the live ball turnovers, but you get guys that are making a pass straight out of bounds and just looking at each other like they have no idea what is even happening, uh, like what they're looking at on defense. Um, let, real quickly, and then we'll move on, but what, is this, what does it mean for FSU's season – like – from the ACC perspective, I think this gives gives Florida State a real leg up. They're three and one, and and the, it looks like there's a whole lot of meh once you get past maybe UVA, Duke, Louisville, FSU, UVA, and 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 then a whole lot of meh. So I gotta feel like you know we've almost locked into a buy the top eight seeds, and, and maybe even a double buy. I don't know. I have to stay healthy. What it, what does it mean for the season as a whole or the NCAA tournament resume? Well, there's obviously a long way to go. I think for the AC, ACC, it's a pretty clearly a, a, th- a three-horse race for those two, three, four seeds. I think I think Duke is a pretty safe bet to lock up the top seed. They have an easy schedule. They they play Louisville, Florida State, and Virginia only one time each, I believe. And and Florida State, Louisville, and Virginia all, all mix it up twice against each other. So, you know, those three teams have a much harder road, you know, to get through the ACC than Duke does. And Duke's just a really good team. So I think beating Louisville puts us in, you know, great position for that double bye. And, you know, it, it, we, 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 we play Louisville one more time, so we can't say that we have the tiebreaker on them or anything. But, you know, if you can get into that, this is looking way ahead, but if you can get into that, sort of two, three seed if Duke's the one that, you know, yeah, it's totally ideal. Yeah. And the way I look at it, I think is that it, we've just basically radically increased our margin for error, both in the ACC and the NCAA tournament. And not that, not that I feel like the NCAA tournament bid is in doubt, probably only need to win another six games to make it. But um, I, a win at Louisville just really means that you can slip up somewhere else and and I wouldn't even say it washes out because frankly a win at Louisville probably is better than a loss I don't know even at Wake you know like it's just as long as you don't lose it home to Boston College um, or lose it home to to maybe I don't know Miami. Wake Miami yeah you kind of you've earned yourself an extra extra margin of error. Uh, we've got new decade, but same bills. So we're going to pay some bills and then come right back and talk a little bit about other things around the ACC and then turn our attention to the Wake Forest game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Uh, we are back. 
we're back here. We can maybe let's do another, uh, let's say 10 minutes here with this podcast. Um, let's talk a little bit since we are into now fully fledged conference season, uh, and, and there may be results happening on over the weekend or Monday, Tuesday nights that folks aren't, um, you're not able to catch every game uh, all the time. So let's, here's a few things that maybe caught my attention and, and I'll get your take on them uh, from around the ACC. Uh, Georgia Tech, who, who is now fully healthy, went into UNC and, and I mean, really made them quit. Like absolutely obliterated them. It was, I believe, 27 to four at one point, And then possibly, I want to say like 32 to eight that I, I think, UNC had more uh, – it, it was – they had no field goals in the first, like, 13 minutes of the game. No field goals. Nine turnovers. How bad is UNC without Cole yeah. Anthony? Yeah, it's shocking. I mean, you, even without Cole Anthony, it's still shocking. The You've still got four I'm, top – four four-star players healthy, even without Cole Anthony, and without the other – Anthony Harris that just tore his ACL. Right. It's, it's North Carolina. I mean, it's North Carolina. You should, you should have the dudes to be a decent ACC team. I mean, if, if when if Michigan state loses a guy, like they don't set, they don't suddenly go to the, you know, to the bottom, you know, third. Kansas, of the, they still win the yeah, big Kansas, 12. Exactly. Kansas won the big 12 a thousand years in a row. And that that's dealt with a lot of injuries. So it's really shocking how bad things are right now in Chapel Hill. And I know it, it's Chapel Hill, so they'll get it turned around eventually, but it certainly doesn't look like, I mean, they, they could miss the NIT this year. They are so bad. And if Cole Anthony chooses to, to do the smart financial decision and just go straight to the NBA, then good, good Lord. Yeah. You have to wonder what is going through his mind, you know, like on the one hand, you want to be there for your, you signed up for something you committed. You want to be there for your teammates. But on the other hand, like if they get to where they are, I don't know, eight and eight or, nine and seven like what's the point you know yeah that I, I I definitely do feel for the kid I've, I've never been in a position where I have to make a decision you know based on you know tens and, and you know perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars uh, but he has he you know he's been a good enough player for long enough that I'm sure he's thought about these things he's got a dad who was you know, all, all over the the or I guess a father who was all over the NBA so he's this is this is a position that he's you know he's probably thought about basketball as a business you know a little more than the than the average player sure and so at this point I would I'd be a little surprised if he does come back but like any athlete any competitor I'm sure he's just burning to be out there with his with his guys yeah yeah no I watched he was the, he was there on the sideline cheering him on uh, as I watched the total debacle. Um, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to make of UNC right now. Let's stay in the triangle area. Uh, North Carolina state had a, this is so they already lost to what was it, Georgia tech at home just to kick off the ACC season. And that was when Georgia tech didn't have like, half their players that they've just got back uh, from injury or, or transfer um, Clemson who previously was six and seven on the season, although also now, uh, now getting healthier came into Raleigh and, and really just, kind of controlled the game from start to finish is this a sign that Clemson is just better now that they're a bit healthier or it, you know we saw Kevin Keats's team they they won with three-point shooting at UNC Wilmington they weren't a great defensive team but not a lot of not a ton of mid-majors are um, they haven't been a great defensive team s- since he came to Raleigh it, is is he another Mark Godfrey where his teams just don't defend 
Yeah, I think until he proves otherwise, you have to go with that assumption. They're they're just they weren't good either of the last couple of years. NC State's defense and they're they're not any good this year. Clemson, you know, I think we meant we talked about this on one of the earlier pods is that they're going to be a team that is consistently getting better throughout the year, and they're going to be way better at the end of the year than they are at the beginning. Um, you know, I don't know if that's going to be good enough to get them into the NIT or not, but but uh, yeah, they're they're definitely going to going to they are better and they're going to continue to get better. So FSU owns double digit wins over both Georgia tech and Clemson. I, I, I guess it's possible. It sounds like that those, those might look a tad bit better uh, three, four weeks from now than they, than they maybe we thought they would at first um, UVA and Virginia tech. I, boy, talk about struggling to score. Uh, VT only, only managed 39 against uh, Tony Bennett's pack line. Um, is, is, is Braxton key is back. He is healthy. He threw down a monster jam the other day. Uh, folks saw a one handed put back where he kind of soared in, uh, from out of nowhere is, is UVA just turning the corner maybe with Braxton key and getting better? Or is it the, the VT team that we saw beat Michigan state, you know, now they're 20 games into the season and their lack of depth and their reliance on freshmen like Landers Nolly, that's just starting to catch up to them. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not ready to change my attitude yet on Virginia. I mean, they're they're they were uh, just a few days removed of barely beating Navy, and then you know they got spanked by South Carolina before that. Virginia Tech. I think we said we were going to revisit them in January, mm-hmm. February. So I guess it's time to revisit them. And and yeah, they're not what they beat Michigan State, and everybody got super excited. And then they you know had three games in a row against sort of. Order, you know, two elite teams and one really good team that they lost, and now it's it's time to, you know, the rubber's going to hit the road, and and I think because the ACC is down, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna have a decent year and they're gonna end up in the postseason somewhere. It's not going to be the NCAA tournament, but yeah, I think you're right. I, you know, in September I had pegged Virginia Tech for possibly two and eighteen. I, I thought they could be yep. the second eighteen loss team in ACC history only because Pitt managed to go oh and eighteen. Um but I, I don't know that they're gonna go two and eighteen because like you said, they're probably gonna find ways to win against the BCs and Miamis and maybe Clemson or UNC's of the world. Um but I I agree that they are finding out what life is like when you don't have uh 10 ACC caliber players or even eight ACC caliber players. And um, every, every ACC team already has a win. So there's not going to be a, uh, so Pitt and BC are still kind of on the hook as, yeah. as the, the, the last winless teams. Yeah. One other one real quick, uh, Wendell Moore for Duke, who I think he was only their probably third best five-star freshman. Um, but Wendell Moore broke his hand or a bone in his hand and is out indefinitely per Coach K. Does that, um, does that change them at all or just something that, you know, Duke has to deal with for a couple of weeks? <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. I mean, of, of the four freshmen, uh, he's probably the one they can most afford to lose. And, you know, baseball has that value over replacement player stat mm-hmm. or whatever. And so they're losing Wendell Moore, which means that somebody like, you know, Alex O'Connell is going to get a lot more minutes or something. So it's not like it, it would be like Florida State losing somebody and then saying, oh, but we have this guy named M- MJ Walker on the bench. We'll just, well, I guess sure. he has to play now, you know. Sure. Yeah. Now, I, 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 to me, the, the two injuries that would, 
like significantly change the outlook that I have for Duke would be Trey Jones or Vernon Carey. Is that fair yep. to say? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we got, so we play Wake Forest here tomorrow. Um, I joked in the comment section that with, with the incredible uh, upheaval that seems constant in this year's college basketball landscape, for those who haven't been following uh, top 10 teams are just drop like flies. Uh, I think there's been six or seven different number ones and unranked teams beat top five teams like it's nothing. Uh, and so Florida state has entered the realm of the top 10 this year. They are 10th in both polls and they travel up to a, to a not untalented Wake Forest team uh what what do you see at what's the range of possibilities here well i think i think the upset comes from uh the refs and i i don't see, mean that the refs are going to throw the game or do more bad calls than we should expect but but it's going to come in how they call the game if if we get calls like if if, if the game gets refed like florida state louisville if every game for the rest of the year gets rough like that, Florida State's one eternity. seed or two yeah. seed. Yeah. You know, I mean, if if you are if you're gonna allow a hyper aggressive defense to kind of get put their hands on guys and you're not gonna just blow a whistle every time anybody looks at anybody, then you know, Florida State's a totally different team. And Wake Forest is really good at getting to the line. It's basically like the only thing they do well. Um, so it's gonna come down to um, you know, how the refs call the game and and you know how 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 aggressive that allows us to be yeah that's a, i think that's a great shout out we we had an interesting dialogue in the slack channel uh you and, and me and josh just that you know look every t- no no team likes to put the other team on the on the free throw line let's just throw that out there right like no one wants foul trouble and no one wants the other team getting free points with the t- with the clock stopped i think with florida state it there is a, an increased uh, adverse effect to Florida State when there are, is a quick whistle because uh, what the way, two of the things that Florida State really relies on to win games, number one, is turning teams over. And, and so we do that very well with defense. If, if we're fouling or getting called for fouls and putting them on the line, well, that's a, that's a possession where there was not a chance to turn them over and, and generate the fast break, easy offense the other way. Number two, you know, we win by grinding teams down. We, you know, time and time again, it's, you get to that 10 minute mark of the second half, maybe it's a three or four point game. It becomes a 12 point game quite simply because we've just worn out others both physically and mentally. And when you're, when you're stopping the game uh, constantly for fouls, when you're not having to force an offense to execute through that just mentally exhausting frustration of having to swat the gnats and mosquitoes away that is the Florida State perimeter defenders. Uh, and when you when our guys are getting in foul trouble, you know, you're taking away that depth and and that kind of like grind you down mentality that we thrive on. Uh, and so I agree that a a a game that is called with a quick whistle does not favor Florida State. Uh, is there any are there any particular players that scare you on Wake Forest? Um, Brandon Childress is kind of that, that classic uh, small point guard who's going to be able to dribble right by most of our guys, um, and then he, that that creates a uh, you know some some problems on the perimeter. They don't they don't shoot a ton of threes. They're a decent shooting team. You know they'd certainly have some guys who can hurt us. Um, and then they have um, 
what's his name? Olivier Saar, who's a really interesting guy. He's a junior now, so we've seen him before. And he's, he's this French seven-footer, and, and he's having a, a really good year. He's a great rebounder. He's drawing a lot of fouls. He's blocking shots. You know, so it'll, it'll, it gives, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of teams these days don't have really effective seven-footers. And so it, it gives, you know, us sort of an interesting – matchup to watch because they you know they they do have this big guy who can actually play and so it'll be interesting to see you know it can also go at all you know is yeah, is dom is dom going to be effective against you know a, a, a seven footer be, be able to stop them or or you know can we guard them can we go small you know and and, and still be able to to stop them just pumping it into the post for fouls yeah no great great stuff uh Michael Rogner will have more, uh, a, a, an update, or a, excuse me, a preview of the game as well, I'm sure tomorrow before the game. So head over to Tomahawk Nation or at Michael Rogner for, um, for that one, for his, the link to the preview. Um, let's get a prediction then. And, and so Wake just actually went up to Pitt over the weekend and got a win in Pitt, which is something Florida State couldn't do. Uh, I don't know. I don't like to play the trans, uh, transitive property game, certainly not in basketball, but uh, worth noting that Wake Wake is coming off a win. Do you have uh, – what, what's your prediction for the game? Um, I think we're going to be able to rattle a few of their guys, you know, and I, I think that uh, it'll, it'll be enough. I don't really see us going in there and blowing anybody out. You know, like, like, like Louisville, you know, we beat them by 13. I don't, I don't really see us beating Wake by that much. But I'll, I'll say – uh, Florida State 70 and Wake 62. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I do not think we're going to shoot as well. I, I just I just don't think we're that good of a shooting team. I would say we're not as bad as we looked that first half against South Florida, um, but I just don't think we're as good of a shooting team as we looked against Louisville. I think we'll regress to the mean a bit there. Um, so I'll say maybe trailing by one at the half and come back – you know, wear them out with, with our pressure, uh, a perimeter pressure, and let's say a, a 71 to 67 victory. So I'll say slightly closer than you, but roughly the same scoring range. All right. All right. Well, you can, uh, I don't know, bet those if you want, take them to the bank or don't. Uh, <laughs> but um, we, we look forward to uh, to another another episode another game tomorrow and another episode hopefully later this week uh happy new year everybody and and talk soon